Our New Testament lesson on this Lord's Day comes from the Psalms, Psalm 29. So listen now for the word of the Lord to the church on this first Sunday of a new calendar year. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name. Worship the Lord in holy splendor. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders the Lord over the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord causes the oaks to whirl and strips the forest bare, and in his temple all say, glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as a king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So it has not been that long since we were standing in the soft glow of Christmas Eve. On the liturgical calendar, it is still Christmastide. But on our worldly calendars, a new year has begun. We are looking ahead in all kinds of ways. For most of us, our Christmas ornaments are at least coming down. The dried husk of the tree may be already at the street. The peace of Christ in the manger that we felt on Christmas Eve is quickly moving into the past. And this morning's psalm seems to challenge that peace with a very different vision of God. Just a little more than a week after that gentle Christmas night, The stillness is shattered by flashing lightning, booming thunder, exploding tree trunks. Lebanon and Syrian, the two biggest mountains in Palestine, are quaking at the power of the Lord. These mighty hills are jumping around like bucking cattle as the mighty oaks upon them are set awhirl in a hurricane of wind. Forests are stripped bare as the waters of the sea foam and churn, and all of this tumult is being caused by one dynamic force, the voice of the Lord. God's voice is booming over creation, snapping trees, flashing fire, and reminding everyone of exactly who is in charge of the heavens and the earth. It is, we have to say, a pretty jarring shift. The gentleness of the Christmas Jesus has almost immediately given way to the power of a God who should not and will not be trifled with. 
These are fearful images, and they are meant to be so. But if we look closely at this short psalm, if we trust the word of God to point us down the right paths and lead us to good answers to tough questions, then we might just find some reassuring truths in all of this bedlam. The first reassurance is signaled there in verse 3, which says that the voice of the Lord is over the waters. In the same way, verse 10 closes with the claim that the Lord sits enthroned over the flood, enthroned as a king forever. What this seems to say is that no matter how frightening the storm may be, God is still above it. The voice of the Lord is over the storm, beyond the storm, greater than the storm. When I hear these words, I think of a plane rising up through dark storm clouds. If you've ever been on a plane in that kind of situation, you know how the craft can get tossed to and fro by wind and turbulence. It's one of those times when you are reminded just how powerless you are in the face of nature's wrath. But then all of a sudden, the plane breaks through the clouds and everything is suddenly calm. Looking down, you can still see the darkness of the clouds. You can even see the occasional flash of lightning, but the way is instantly smooth as the plane begins to ride in the calm, sunny air above the fray. That's the power of God's voice in this psalm. It is loud enough to be heard in the midst of that powerful storm, but its true home is above it. It was there before the storm. It was there throughout the storm, and it will remain long after the storm has passed. This kind of storm imagery is found repeatedly in the Psalms, and I don't think it's there to warn us, warn us that we better watch out because a powerful God is out to get us if we step one foot out of line. I think it's there to remind us that yes, our God is powerful. And yes, that should give us a healthy respect and a reverence. But we should view this awesome power as good news because it means our God is big enough and mighty enough to subdue the chaos and hold the wildness of nature at bay. In a world where we often feel powerless against the whims of Mother Nature, the cruelties of hostile powers, the relentlessness of illnesses that we struggle to cure, and the senselessness of tragedies that we cannot seem to avoid, the psalmist assures us that our God is above it all, over, beyond, and greater than any negative thing we might encounter. So this little psalm reminds us of how mighty the voice of the Lord can be, and that is ultimately a comfort. But it also makes it clear that we can abandon any thought 
of controlling this awesome power or bending it to our own will. Just as the Holy Spirit blows where it chooses to blow and we never really know where it comes from or where it goes, as John says, so does the voice of the Lord speak when, where, and to whom it chooses. And that can be for us a painful thing. I have heard so many conversations of people who have told me about the struggles that they are enduring, struggling under the weight of some storm of life. These are people who earnestly want to understand what God is up to, but they just can't seem to figure out what that is. And what they want most of all is to somehow hear the voice of God speak to them. But as hard as they try, to listen. They just are not hearing a word from the Lord. And in the pain of that silence, a pretty tough question arises. If God's voice is as strong as the psalmist says, if it rocks the world and knocks down trees, if it's bold enough to be heard above the thunder and above the screams of whirling winds, then why can't we hear it? When the prophet Elijah was at his lowest point, when he was convinced that all of creation was against him and he had not one friend in the world, the Lord knew that the prophet needed some encouragement, a reminder that he was on the right side, that he was on the right track. Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, the voice told Elijah, for the Lord is about to pass by. Interestingly, Elijah then experiences the same kind of storm that we find in Psalm 29. It was almost identical with one critical exception. There was a great wind, the scripture says, so strong that it was splitting the mountains and breaking rocks in pieces before the Lord. But here was the difference. Elijah could not hear the Lord in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake but Elijah could not hear the Lord in the earthquake either. And after the earthquake, there was a great fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after that, there was nothing. Oh, older translations describe the sound as a still small voice, but scholars now believe the Hebrew describes the sound of nothingness, the sound of sheer silence. And it was a great disappointment to Elijah. And yet, at the same time, it was enough. Whatever Elijah heard, it was enough to get Elijah to stand up, to put some clothes on and get up out of the cave that he had been hiding in. And once he did that, the Lord began speaking in words that Elijah could understand. It was only after the storm had come and gone that the voice of God finally told Elijah exactly what he needed to do. Maybe this is why some people claim that Psalm 29 is not really about a storm at all. They say instead that 
what Psalm 29 is really about is a life of trust. Trust that the voice of God is every bit as powerful as we need it to be. Trust that the voice of God really is present with us always, even when we cannot seem to hear it at all. Prominent pastor and professor William Willimon once told a story about a Sunday school lesson he taught on the passage from Genesis where God tells Abraham to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. It's another place where scripture jars us, even frightens us with the power that God has over us. And it was a bold move to choose that for a lesson as a visiting teaching minister. But he mustered his courage and he went for it. It's only a little Bible story, he said to himself. What harm can there be in that? He chose to introduce the passage with a video. The Israeli actor Topol, most famous for his performance on, in Fiddler on the Roof, played Abraham. So the movie was powerfully acted and it avoided no details, and in the climactic scene as Abraham raises the blade to strike the fatal blow, we see the young Isaac's eyes flash with genuine horror, only to be saved by the booming voice of the Lord, which calls off the slaughter at the last possible second. Willimon flipped the lights on and he turned around and looked at the class. And if he was worried before that he might have been making a mistake, he was no longer in doubt. It had been a huge mistake based on what he saw. Mothers were crying. Men were pale and sweating. The room was completely freaked out. What kind of God would play with humanity's emotions in that way. It was too late to back out, so the professor pushed on somewhat meekly. Well, what does this story say to us, he asked. That's when a middle-aged man at the back of the room abruptly stood up. I will tell you what it means to me. And the whole class pivoted to turn to him. When I look at that God The God of Abraham, that man said, I feel I'm near a real God. Not the sort of dignified, business-like, rotary club God we chatter about here on Sunday mornings. Abraham's God could blow a man to bits, give and then take a child, ask for everything from a person, and then want more. I want to know that God. That's the life of trust. And I think that's why Psalm 29 is not about a storm. It's about what we as human beings are willing to see in the storm. It's a life that wants to draw close enough to that storm to be able to hear the voice of God even if that voice may snap them like those tree trunks 
or blow them down the mountainside or bring swirling floodwaters over their heads. It's the kind of life that wants God to have that power because only a God with that kind of power can have any kind of chance against the storm. It is the kind of life that dares to trust that the source of divine power does not want to use that power against us, but only for us. It is the kind of life that even dares to dream that God might just give a little of that power to us. And that, I believe, is exactly what the psalmist really had in mind Because after detailing all the destruction the voice of God had wrought, he concludes with these words, May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. In other words, I see what your voice can do, God. So bring everything you've got. Because we really need your help. Our world is a mess. People we love are sick and dying. Conflict is raging in our country and in our communities. It seems that ethics are going out the window. Values that we once took for granted are abandoned with hardly a thought. And what we really need is a God who is above that storm. A God whose voice can be heard above the chaos whose word is strong enough to reclaim the world and put it back in line. So, yes, we are still in Christmastide, and we are still gathered around the manger, but it is not too early to remember just whose birth we are celebrating and just what we need his voice to be able to do. And may God give us the courage to live lives of trust, to trust in this newborn babe who has the power to ask everything of us and still want more, but ultimately for our peace. May God give us the faith to say, I want to know that God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.